Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Unfortunately, your flight to Bristol has been delayed once again. But for your entertainment purposes, please listen to the Baggage Claim Monday edition of the Baseball Tonight podcast with Buster Olney. The white zone is for immediate unloading and loading of passengers only. No parking in the white zone. Thank you. It's actually a Baggage Claim Wednesday, a special edition during the playoffs. I'm Buster Olney. Uh, I am flying today from my home down to Texas for game three of the playoffs. Sir Abbott, Parker Owens, Taylor Schwenk are all back in Connecticut. How are you guys doing this morning? Sorry, I guess I don't even have to ask you as a Phillies fan. Good Lord. Is anybody going to stop I mean, that team? I hope not. This is fantastic. I'm so excited to have Hembo on to hear what he has to say about it because I'm sure he is more excited than me as an actual lifelong Phillies fan. So I'm pumped. <laughs> Taylor, it just felt like it got to a point you don't want to say you felt sorry for a team, but watching the the Diamondbacks last night, man, it it did. At some point, you're like, no, somebody stop this. Like, throw the talent. We've been using all these, you know, boxing metaphors during and analogies during this postseason, and I kept on waiting for somebody to throw talent. It's like that uh, that Simpson scene where he, there's this kids crying, stop, stop, he's already dead. <laughs> yeah. Or do you want to give a uh, prediction as to whether or not the series winds up going back to Philadelphia? The series is not going back to Philadelphia. I, I feel very <laughs> confident in saying after w- watching uh, that outing yesterday. All right. We're going to ask the nicest person on earth, Sarah Langs, who always looks for rainbows and sprinkles in terms of her projections. We're going to ask her if the Diamondbacks can get the series back to Philadelphia, which means taking at least two or three Uh, when they play in Arizona coming up. All right, this was what happened last night. Bottom of the first inning, Trey Turner at the plate for the Phillies. The pitch, swing and a high fly ball. Crushed, left field, way back, on its way, gone! Home run, Trey Turner! And in the first, the Phillies have done it again. A solo homer, one nothing Phillies. That was Boog Shambi and ESPN Radio, who's starting to sound like he does when he's doing the home run derby. When he does the Phillies games, you know, he was, he, he was just scared warmed up because this is what happened in the bottom of the third. Kyle Schwarber, the home run for him last night, his 16th career postseason homer in 60 now postseason games. Swing and a high fly ball drilled right field. That one back and that one is gone. Just got over the high wall and right. Schwarber will touch them all. A line drive homer over the right field fence, and it's 2-0. Career postseason homer number 17. How about Boog just teeing himself up, Taylor, like that? I mean, just putting it, it's like, yeah, okay, another homer's coming. I want to set this up. The legend! He's got it all. He's deep in his bag. Oh, my goodness. Aaron Nola was really good on the mound for the Phillies last night. 2-0 2-0 Phillies, Marte at second, and the pitch, cut on and missed, struck him out with a curveball. And Nola, six shutout innings as he has struck out seven in this one. Kyle Schwarber came up in the bottom of the sixth. The 2-1. Swing and a high drive, right center field, on its way, that ball is gone! Schwarber has gone deep again. A bomb to right center field. And the Phillies extend their lead. It is 3-0. And even after the Diamondbacks went to the bullpen, the rally continued. 
First one to Marsh, swing and a base hit inside the bag at third. Around third and in to score Real Muto. Castellanos will stop at third. Marsh is into second. It's an RBI double. It is six nothing. Yeah, so the Phillies would score four runs in the bottom of the six, four more in the bottom of the seventh. This is what it sounded like at the very end. The three-two. In their ball game, and the Phillies win it. Ten nothing the final, and the Phillies are up two games to none in this National League Championship Series. A dominant performance by the Phillies pitching and the power on display again. And right after the game, Kyle Schwarber spoke with Matt Weiner of TBS. Eight of the nine spots in the order either scored a run, drove in a run. You're now out homering opponents 19-4 to in the postseason. How dangerous is this lineup right now? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing is that we're going up there with the plan and uh, trying to execute it. Uh, you know, Merrill did a really good job tonight. You know, they only gave up three hits. You know, uh, luckily for us, we, we did some damage with it. But, uh, you know, once he came out of the game, we were able to really work some bats and uh, get some pretty clutch hits there to extend the lead. So, uh, thanks, guys. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we're going up there. We, we got a plan. We got a plan, and we're trying to execute it. You scored 10. Turned out you only really needed one. How good was Aaron Nola tonight? Wow. You know, fantastic. Another great outing. Uh, you know, the way that he composes himself, and uh, he, he's, uh, you know, he's solidifying himself as true race. And, uh, you know, we're, we're really lucky to have that guy in our rotation. But, you know, him, Wheels, and our other uh, horses, you know, we ride those guys throughout the uh, throughout the whole year, and they're really showing uh, – how valuable they are for us in this postseason. This was the round where your bat took off last year now. Three home runs in the first two games of this series this time around. Shore bombs are cool. We can agree on that. But I want to talk to you about going first to third. How, how good did that feel? Yeah, you know, runs are runs are big in the postseason in any way possible. And if I can get the third base with uh, one out and, uh, you know, our guys coming off, you know, that's what it's all about. You know, we're all looking to get 90 feet. That's the biggest thing. You know, we're not going to just cash it in. You know, runs are runs are at a premium in the postseason. So uh, we're going to try to find a way any single time we can. Shore bombs, shore wheels, shwheels? <laughs> uh, sure, wheels. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, big guys can run too, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody, and I, I haven't actually listened to it yet, I saw somebody embedded some sort of sound effect to Swarber running first to third. You know, I'm thinking Chariots of Fire, which ESPN did back in the day for Benji Molina when he hit a triple uh, on SportsCenter, which caused Yadi Molina to not speak to ESPN for like 12 years. Got to be careful there. I love his technique. I love his arms. They're nice, high, and tight. Like he's got little wings going on, but he was moving. What choice does he have? That's like when people say that <laughs> Jose Altuve is really good at hitting a high fastball. I'm like... What, what choice does he have? Tori Lovello, the Diamondbacks manager, talked about his starter, Merrill Kelly. He was doing all that he could to keep us in the game. It was just, it was, we couldn't get anything going offensively. I felt like we were putting a lot of pressure on him to keep us, keep it where it was, to give us a chance. And, you know, we never really, the game had no flow to it. But I thought Merrill did a pretty, pretty good job of standing back out there and keeping us in the ballgame. Tori talked about his team's offense. We got to be stubborn and not miss the pitch we're looking for or wait for the pitch that we're looking for. So that's part of being, a, you know, being a, having a mature at bat. And we can slug. We, we got we to find out how to beat you, and we can do it in a couple different ways. But obviously, slugging is one very key way to do it. 
So Sarah Lang's going to be coming up talking about the run differential for the Phillies, which is historic. And Rob Thompson, with that flat effect he has in the way that he speaks, was asked about the Phillies lineup. I mean, we got a really good lineup, and and it's a long lineup, and, and we're swinging the bats really well right now. I thought uh, I thought Merrill Kelly did a really nice job, and we finally got to him in the sixth. You know, he he kept us off balance for the most part up until the sixth, and we started to string some hits together and, and put up some crooked numbers. So that was good, but. Offense comes and goes. We gotta we gotta stay on it. Here's JT Real Muto, the Phillies catcher talking about Schwarber's impact in the leadoff spot. I know what the opposing pitcher and catcher are thinking about all day long before a game. Even the night before. They're like they're worried about that first to bat. They're worried about the first pitch. Like when they can do damage from the first pitch, it's a very uncomfortable feeling. And Schwarbs is the best in the game at making the opposing pitcher feel uncomfortable before the game even starts. Aaron Nola, who started for the Phillies last night, pitched great, was speaking after the game about the Phillies' progression into this juggernaut. Sign Bryce, like when you sign a guy like that, you're not really looking to rebuild anymore. You know, a guy this caliber, and then we signed JT not too long after that, and then we started adding pieces and coming together as a good group and kept making those baby steps and finally got to where we wanted to get last year, uh, but came up short. So, uh, the Phillies and Diamondbacks will take their series now to Arizona with the Philadelphia Phillies leading two games to none in the best of seven series. The Rangers and the Astros will resume later today. Max Scherzer will get the ball, having been out basically for a month, and he talked about getting focused for the postseason as he was working his way back. You know, when this injury happened, you know, we were kind of in that four to six week window. Definitely knew the regular season was out of play. I think I had one, I took one day to feel bad about it. And then the next day I was back to grinding because I knew we have a team that can compete with anybody and that if there's a chance to still come back, I, I'm going to do everything I can to put myself in position to make that on the four week side. Here we are. He was asked what it's going to be like returning from injury in the postseason. I don't know how to answer that because I don't think there is an answer <laughs> of trying to, you know, uh, tackle something like this. Uh, all I can do is go out there and get my all. Go out there and compete as as long as I can. Listen to my arm, uh, and you know, and that's all I can do is give give everything I got. Bruce Bochy, the Rangers manager, talked about his expectation for Max Scherzer. I'll stick with this right now. He threw 69 pitches facing hitters uh, a week ago or so, you know, about six days ago. So that's the starting point. Obviously, we'll watch innings. How stressful they are, how he feels, uh, looking at the command, uh, stuff, uh, velo, things like that. Dusty Baker, the Astros manager, is hinting about possibly shaking up his lineup for Game 3, specifically with Kyle Tucker. Tuck's going to get going. You know, we had a good conversation today, and, uh, you know, for for a temporary situation, I might move him down the order, try to take a little bit off of him. So, you know, we'll see. And uh, there are a few guys... You know, we need to get going or, you know, we all need to get going. I know, Taylor, this is the beginning of what you guys refer to as something, what, crazy Wednesday or wacky Wednesday or nutso Wednesday because you got a lot going. What you got? Buster, right after this, we call it Wacky Wednesday because we record, we double record uh, college game day. So we're going to do our midweek episode and the pick show. So... When you're listening to this, you can probably go find the Wednesday episode with Ryan McGee on, as well as Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. Uh, they're going to be diving deep on uh, Penn State, Ohio State. That's where game day is headed this week. A lot of clarity to be gained in the Big Ten East title race. So it uh, should be a good episode. Check it out. The College day, Game Day podcast. You can watch it on YouTube. The NFL schedule drops this week. 
And you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com today, code BASEBALL. Vivid Seats, experience it live. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo is Paul Mbikides, who is Mike Greenberg's right-hand man on the show Get Up. And, of course, on Hembo's, uh, or excuse me, well, it's actually Hembo. It is your radio show. Like Greeny just tags along and just parrots out loud what you tell him to say. Yes. Yes. I mean, obviously, we call it the uh, we call the show hashtag Greeny. That's primarily for the sponsors. We know from a content standpoint, nothing could be further from the truth. Right. <laughs> oh man. All right. So I'm imagining because you're talking about how you're staying up and watching all these Phillies games. Your poor daughters. That's all I can think of. Like they're one plus year old. They're new mm-hmm. to the world, and they're just getting their fill of Phillies shouting. Like you're adding yes, to the decibel level mm-hmm. at the ballpark. Yes. Um, you can pack, practically feel my home in New Jersey reverberating from South Philadelphia. My, my girls were born on August 29th of last year, and they've hardly experienced any losing. I mean, the, the Eagles are in the Super Bowl. The Phillies win the pennant. The Phillies look destined to win the pennant again. Like they've been a, a huge stroke of good luck. This is a really great day to be me, a really great time to be me, and a really awful time to know me because, Buster, I, like my median day, is one in which I'm insufferable, which you can attest to. So me on a day like this is only heightened, obviously, and this is only amplified. So I'm honestly surprised that you invited me on the podcast today. I'm not sure that Taylor is even going to include this interview when you post it because I'm going to be so annoying, but I do appreciate you giving me the chance to come in here and chat with you for 10 or 15 minutes, uh, minutes even so. Well, it's fun to hear your enthusiasm, and it's a fun team to talk about with the Phillies. You know, I was on a radio show yesterday, Cody Decker, Michelle Beadle, and I think it was Michelle who asked me, boy, they just seem like a great group of guys. And it, and it echoed, I think it was Alex Core on the podcast last week, or somebody was saying to me, it feels like that they're like friends on a softball team in terms of how they're relating to each other. Tell me what you're seeing and what that's like for you. 
Yeah, I mean, they also look like a softball team because they're all long-haired and bearded, it seems, right? Like, they are they are playing the part. Um, culture matters. Uh, chemistry matters. And here's something to which I uh, is long overdue for me, and that's to tip my cap to Dave Dombrowski. Because you know that my philosophy of baseball team building differs a lot from his, or at least it differs a lot from some of the moves that he made. And you have to remember that a lot of these Phillies are transplants. Like the, the 2008 Phillies, which is my, the first team I ever loved, was largely a group of homegrown players, Utley and Rollins and Hamels and Howard and, all, and Brett Myers and that, that glut of players, all homegrown through Ed Wade, homegrown, and we learned to love them accordingly. But this group of Phillies is largely a group of free agents and traded for players and, and transplants. And yet it honestly occurs to me that this is as beloved a team, at least in Philadelphia, during my lifetime. And I think that sentiment is being echoed across the Delaware Valley. It really is. And the clubhouse culture and the clubhouse chemistry, which is something that I often overlook uh, when I look at all my numbers, right, is obviously manifesting. Like the, the idea of culture here and, and chemistry and those kinds of more you know, qualitative things, harder to quantify things, doesn't always manifest in the standings during the regular season. You're not going to make the playoffs because you have get good chemistry. But the point of chemistry, the point of culture is that players can play beyond their, say, 50th percentile outcome. And if we can get a bunch of guys playing at, at a B level, at a B plus level, at an A minus level collectively across the board, what you see, Buster, is what is happening right now. Because when this team is clicking, when everyone is pulling on the rope in the same manner, they're just demolishing people. I mean, the Diamondbacks just blitzed the, the Dodgers. And, and they've gotten beaten so badly that we are now discrediting who they are. A week ago, the they were ambushing... Yeah. Excuse me. Yes, the Diamondbacks. A week ago, they were ambushing the Dodgers, right? So we can't have it both ways. The, the bottom line of it is, the Phillies, like sort of collectively, obviously the performance is obvious and it manifests on the scoreboard. But beneath the surface, this team has as good a culture, as good a chemistry, and as a good as good a rapport both with themselves and with the city of Philadelphia as anything that I have ever observed. And right now, honestly, the Phillies and its fans—that's the biggest story in all of sports. Yeah, uh, and I'd say this. You know, we. Going to the Braves and Philly series, we sort of highlighted that as being Ollie versus Frazier, right? Well, this series, and I, I felt this way all along, that it's a heavyweight against a flyweight, to use the back's boxing analogy. It's just, it's hard to look at the the Diamondbacks with how young they are, new to this experience. I, You know, a, a great story done by our Jesse Rogers about how all the Diamondbacks players had all these alternate plans uh, for October because there wasn't necessarily an expectation they would play in the playoffs. This Phillies team has been pointing to this October, playing late into this postseason since last year. Like, they have been so locked in, and you can see that. And it feels like you can feel that watching these games. 100%. Uh, two more wins was their mantra from day one in spring training. They, they lost in Game 6 of the World Series last year, and that's been the objective, is to get back. And with the leadership that they have, with the talent they have, with the way that they built throughout the season and overcame adversity – that's exactly what we're seeing. And as it relates to the Diamondbacks, I'm going to steal a line from Todd Helton. It was Todd Helton who I heard once say this. He said, how do you perform when the upper deck is filled with people, right? Like that's a – because in baseball, when you're playing on a 162-game season, a team like the Diamondbacks has never experienced anything like what they just did the last two days in Philadelphia. And Buster, you've been at stadiums your whole life. A, a baseball game, at least mentally for these athletes – it's a lot closer to what a golfer might experience or what a tennis player might experience because you're dealing with acute skills, your hand-eye coordination, your fine motor skills. These are things for which being amped up does not help. And so if your senses are heightened, as, as the Diamondbacks are and as, as, any, play, as any team and player that have come through Philadelphia is, uh, is or are, it's very difficult if you're not prepared for that experience to be able to do your job. 
And the Diamondbacks are, are clearly not able to do that. We've seen in each of the last two series, like, effectively teams forget how to play baseball. Very simple things. Why isn't Corbin Carroll running? Why is Tori Lavello not have someone warming up in the bullpen? Like these are things that matter. When the upper deck is filled, how do you perform? And it's pretty clear that, that, you're an out, that your boxing analogy was right on because the Diamondbacks just had no idea what was about to hit them. Yeah, specifically, that was a great question. Like early on, you're, you figure that that's, in theory, the Diamondbacks' great advantage. Now, you know, I, I talked to some evaluators of the teams. And they said, look, if there's any catcher who's good at controlling a running game, especially in a focused situation like the postseason, it's going to be JT Real Muto. But Corbin Carroll is a great base runner. There were times watching that game, Hembo, like you could see his secondary lead. You know, I thought that the TBS did a great job of hanging with that long enough where you can see Carol getting off and you're like, dude, <laughs> go. <laughs> Especially yeah, as there the is, evolved. There is, you can tell that the Phillies are in their element. The Phillies are reacting. The, the, the Diamondbacks are thinking. And, and you can't win a baseball game, especially in that environment, if you're not playing free and easy. And if you watch the Phillies and everyone that they're playing, it looks like you're playing two different sports, especially in that ballpark. There's just like this sort of free and easy nature of what this team is doing. It's almost inevitable. Like it's not supposed to be this easy, and yet it's 10 to nothing in a playoff game. It's the kind of thing that you rarely, rarely see. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and maybe the Diamondbacks playing in the home park will be more comfortable and get back to playing their game. But now they also have to try to swim upstream against this wave of momentum that's been developed by the Phillies. I say, say it still feels like a heavyweight versus lightweight, and I'd be surprised if the series comes back from Arizona. Uh, yeah, you, so you when we, when, yeah, one more thing there, because we talked last week about the series to, to preview it, and what I said was, I think the Diamondbacks are going to have to, at minimum, split, if not win the games in which Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly start. Because that was, at least in theory, if not an advantage, their best shot. The fact yeah. that the Phillies already ambushed those two guys on the road, I mean, uh, excuse me, at home, um, I, I think was probably the fate accompli. Like, you're going back to Arizona now, and that pitching staff is in, is in ruin. The, forget the day off. Like, that was their best chance, was for Zach Allen to go out and shove, for, Mer for Merrill Kelly to go out there and shove. You can get a, a seat right now in Arizona for $19 for Game 3. Buster, you're going to see a lot of red. You're going to see a lot of red in the upper deck at Chase Field. Well, and on the other hand, the Phillies have options. And could, Ranger Suarez, I think, pitches with so much confidence with everything, the momentum going there. All right, Astros-Rangers tonight. They have game three. Max Scherzer's on the mound. I don't have high expectations for him. You know, for a guy who's been out that long and his stuff, what do you make of tonight's game and the chances for the Astros to get back into this? I actually do think the Astros have a real meaningful chance to get back into the series. I don't think that Max Scherzer's leash is going to be so long. You and I will probably be looking for the same thing in the first inning of that game. We'll probably know if he has it or not. Yep. The first question I have is, where's his fastball velocity? Like, is he living in the low 90s or is he living in the mid 90s? That's going to be sort of a, a harbinger. And the second thing is, is he going to uh, induce swings and misses with that slider? Like, we know the formula for Max Scherzer. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer because of that pitch combo. Is he able to, if, is he able to do that? Because if he's not able to do that, I, I think the Astros are going to score runs early and score runs often in a game uh, in which I think is probably going to be a shootout. But I think for as much talk, for as much talk as we have provided the Phillies, and for good reason, they've been dominant. The Texas Rangers have been equally, if not more, dominant, Buster. I'll just give you one number that I think jumps off the page in relation to that particular notion. Texas Rangers pitchers in this postseason have thrown a combined 957 pitches across the three rounds. They have thrown two, two of those 957 pitches while trailing. Two wow. of 957. Jordan Montgomery threw two pitches in the first inning of Game 2 against the Orioles with a deficit. 
and that is it. This team has been playing aggressively downhill, just like the Phillies have. Their lineup has been not quite as explosive, but pretty close. And I think you would agree with me. The pitching staff with Texas has been much better than I would have expected, especially its bullpen. Now, the reason I think that Houston can absolutely get back into this series is because I actually don't have a lot of confidence in Max Scherzer either being effective or going deep. And over the course of a long period of time, in this case, potentially five more games, the Ranger bullpen does scare me. My philosophy on, on picking series is usually in a best of three or a best of five, it's your strengths that are really amplified. In a best of seven, it's your, it's your weaknesses. It's your shortcomings that are usually magnified late in games, late in series. And I think the Rangers do have those. But right now, it's really hard to pick against them based upon how well they've played. I still think Houston's very live in this series. But obviously, a lot comes down to like the first three innings of tonight. That'll tell us everything we need to know. It'll be interesting when Dusty Baker uh, posts his lineup for today's game because he was talking yesterday about uh, you know dropping Kyle Tucker down the lineup, which to me makes a lot of sense. His at bats are, I'm just shocked. I mean, he he really he looks like the embodiment of that phrase in between. Like he is <clears throat> confused at the plate, but whoever bats behind Jordan Alvarez is going to be so crucial here. Like to me, because I, I Jose Abreu's been much better in the last two months but for me he's all, almost an inducement to pitch around Jordan Alvarez because of the fact that uh, he's a right-handed hitter he doesn't run well he tends to hit into double plays so I'm going to be really curious to see what Dusty lands uh, you know where he lands with his lineup before you go I want to ask you about Kim Ang you know that's mm. the big news of this uh, this week you know off the field uh, the Marlins basically force her out of power what's your take on that and so I don't know Kim at all. And so I would uh, obviously not be comfortable speaking on her behalf, but it's not just the fact that she is such a groundbreaking uh, pioneer in the game of baseball in all of sports. I mean, she's, she was literally the most powerful person in North American sports based upon her position. And obviously she worked in baseball for three decades in order to accrue that position. But I don't think that she takes into account at all that piece of thing, uh, that piece of it, if I had to just guess. If I had to just guess, the reason that she resigned, the reason that she elected not to pick up her option is because he's just freaking good at that job and shouldn't have to report to anyone. Like, I don't care if Kim Ang looked like me. All right, Kim Ang's reputation, Kim Ang's performance, to get the Marlins to the playoffs in a 162-game season is a freaking miracle. A miracle befell the Marlins when, when she fell into their lap. She would, Hiring Kim Ang has the, is the best thing they have done in the last 15 or 20 years. That's a person that you cherish. That's a person that you treasure. That's a person that you keep and promote, and you don't let anyone else get their hands on her. For them to make this decision to where she needs to report to somebody else, honestly, it's humiliating. It's, it would be humiliating no matter what she looked like, but given the fact that she's been swimming upstream her whole life, given the fact that Kim Ang has overcome enormous obstacles and broken any kind of precedent to reach the top of the mountain, and then did that job better than almost anyone on the planet, is just completely ridiculous to me, the fact that she would now not be in this position. But good on her for leaving. Good on her because she knows I'm damn good at this job. Someone else is going to give me that job, and I'm going to win a championship as a general manager or as a president of baseball up for some other team. Honestly, baseball deserves her, and another team deserves her more than the Marlins do.
Yeah, and I think she would fit the Boston Red Sox, especially given the the power structure, pass relationship with Alex Cora, who right now I think you'd agree with me in baseball ops is probably the most powerful person within the Red Sox organization. He plays well with others, Alex. I think it would be a really good match for them to uh, to look at her. And I, you know, you're asking the question why we're not going to know for sure until Bruce Sherman comes out and speaks, and maybe we won't even know then. You know, when the Marlins uh, owner gives a press conference, it really feels like as time has gone on his frustration with how it played out under Derek Jeter uh, led to him essentially picking off each of the people that Derek brought in. And in some cases, I think that was very much justified. There was mistakes and, you know, there's reason why he would necessarily be unhappy with Derek's performance as president. But with Kim, the idea that it's like the baby getting thrown out with the bathwater. Yes. um, I think this is a decision that he will regret for many, many years as well. He should. Yep, exactly. All right, Hambo, thank you. Later, friends. Get out of here, Hambo. Sick of Hambo. Rachel Ulrich is the baseball editor at ESPN.com. And as far as I remember, Rachel, you're the only one who at any point this year predicted the Texas Rangers would win the World Series. You said that on our trade deadline show. What was that about? Uh, to be perfectly honest, you made me make a pick, and I was so nervous that after Tim Kirchin picked the Astros, I was like, let's go with the other AL West juggernaut. And uh, that was about as much thought that went into it as a little bit of a panic buy. But uh, now I love getting the bragging rights for it. It worked out great for me, honestly. Nice. In all seriousness, do you remember what you felt like? I know you didn't necessarily pick them because you believed in that moment that they were going to win. Tell me what was interesting about that team for you at that time. No, totally. We'd, we'd written about the Rangers. I mean, obviously since like the preseason and about that, we'd watched that offense do what they had done. And then I just, I respect any move that's going to go out and make a tra- make a deal at the deadline like that. And I thought like if after all of the issues that they'd had with that pitching, and I know Chris Young had set it up in a really specific way, and then they just got demolished by injuries, like for them to go out and say like, okay, let's try plan what it must've been F by then. Uh, I, w- I kind of wanted it to work out for them. I love when a team makes a move like that and goes for it. And it's been really fun. I'm so excited. I realized yesterday when we were in the green room that like, the Rangers have only had one home game so far this postseason, which yeah. is crazy. And it got me so excited about for those fans and everybody in that ballpark to get to have that like starting tonight. Uh, I'm really excited for, for them and it'll be really fun. You have any expectations about Max Scherzer and tonight's start? Buster, I really don't. I could go see it going either way. Like I could see him getting absolutely shelled the way he did the last time he played the Astros, or I could see him dealing. I, it's going to be fascinating to see. I, I really don't. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, I think he's going to struggle. I, I just, yeah. I think, in part of part of that is is after watching Max Fried. I remember he what he, he went out with a blister issue. He hadn't pitched in 18 days in the yeah. game. All he was reduced to was simulated games. And then that start he had against the Phillies, you're like, he can't land his curveball. He can't yeah. do this. He can't do that. And you're like, well, of course, he hasn't been able to pitch. And I know Max yeah. is very hopeful and he's very competitive. But, you know, I mean, it's the Astros have been going at it. Their hitters have been going at it for, you know, day after yep. day after day after day. And here's Max trying to drop in. And I know he has a lot of experience, but, I don't know. I, I I think it could potentially be a problem for him. Yeah. That's the one thing I'll say. If anyone can like get through a postseason start just by like sheer force of will, it is probably Max Scherzer. So Yeah, exactly. All right. We have a, a cool piece on Evan Carter today. I was pitching an idea to you yesterday, but you're like, no, nah, we, we got something in the works. Tell me about that. <laughs> 
Yeah, Dave Shenfield did a really fun piece today on Evan Carter. And it was sort of like you and I have been talking about his crazy backstory and he's so young. And, you know, what do we do with this kid? And Dave pitched a piece that looks at three at bats from Evan's postseason this year and sort of how it tells the story of how how he got here and what he's doing up here. So super fun on. And it was just a different way of looking at this really young kid. Um who is just such a delight, truly. I'm having so much fun watching him play baseball and doing lovely post-game interviews where he's like, it's just so fun to be here. I'm I'm a big Evan Carter guy these days. Well, his prom was two and a half years ago, right? I, I mean, yes. which is crazy to think about. And, and it's there's so much that I, can, I can't wait to, when I get a chance to talk with him during this round, like this whole, the fact that he didn't play at all, basically three games in his senior year for this really small school. He hadn't played, uh, you know, that much baseball in high school compared to a lot of his peers. And the idea that this is the skill that he's known for having pitch recognition and to be able to sort through that, that's something that you would, uh, you know, assume might happen for somebody with a lot of experience, right? Totally. Somebody who played a ton of baseball, but in Evan Carter's case, you know, that's uh, that that doesn't seem to apply. Um, tell me about last night watching that Phillies game and the way that this played out. How did you watch the game? Where did you watch the game? And what was that like? Yeah, I was in the green room uh, at ESPN. So I was watching with our crew for baseball tonight um, and the folks who were in town for the show. Uh, so we watched the game in the green room and we were all, I mean, it was just sort of like we'd sit around and be talking and chatting and the Phillies would hit another home run and we'd sit around and talk and chat and the Phillies would hit another home run. But like every time we looked up, they were there. Um, but yeah, it was, it was great. Jesse Rogers is at that series for us along with Dave Shenfield. Uh, and he'd been pitching us a piece for the last couple of days. Cause he'd been talking to guys in the Phillies clubhouse about the game plan, basically like, how are you going about to getting on these guys so quickly? Like what is there? And, and sure enough, got some really good stuff and about this mantra that they're using in the clubhouse of be ready to hit. And as Jesse explained, it's not actually just about like be ready in the batter's box, but like be looking for the pitch you want because pitchers are going to throw them early and you need to take advantage of it. So it was great for us because the whole time we're watching the game, we're like, yes, we've got an awesome uh, plug for Jesse's story tonight. So yeah, it was great. We watched in the clubhouse, we watched in the green room. Um, I think I edited that story from the control room while we taped baseball tonight, last night. Uh, it was, it was a fun one. I thought too, I love Jesse's piece about the diamondbacks and how all the, the players given the, you know, the lackluster results that that uh, organization has had in recent years, all the players and staffers are making plans for October because of course, why wouldn't you uh, yes. given the recent success? And now they're in the national league championship series. And all of a sudden, all of that is really complicated. And as I read the piece this morning, I also thought like, boy, that that's a very different perspective than the Phillies players have, which seems to be playing out right now. Like the Diamondbacks players seem so, wow, this is really cool. And Tori Lavella, who I love, the manager of the Diamondbacks, saying that, you know, he expects that the crowd's going to be just as loud in Arizona uh, as it was in Philadelphia. And uh, Merrill Kelly saying that the WBC crowd was as loud as, as it is in Philadelphia. It feels like the Diamondbacks are trying to talk their way into this a little bit now that they're in it. I think they are. I think, let's be honest, I would be too. Uh, I wouldn't want to go to Philly and play Philly. (laughs) Yeah, I having been to both the WBC last year and a World Series game in Philly, like the year before, I it that was a sweet thought, Meryl, but it is not the case. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Two more for you before you go. Uh, We got the word a couple days ago about Kim Ang. Uh, basically being pushed out 
as the head of baseball operations for the Miami Marlins. When you heard the news, what were your thoughts? I was disappointed. Um, yeah, I mean, you and I have talked talked about it a lot over the last couple of days, obviously. But um, it it uh, the thing I've thought a lot about. Uh, this is my I I like literally just started the third year in this job for me. Um, I've done this job for like two post two two full years now. This is my third postseason, um, and I like sort of feel like I'm just figuring it out. Like every you know, it takes a while to get into a role like that, and that's sort of been my perception of of Kim's time at the Marlins. Um, it took some time to figure it out because it's a really hard job. But last year was a like a kind of an objectively great year for her and for the team. Um, and it's like, it just sucks to see someone not get rewarded, like not only not get rewarded for that, but to to propose a demotion for that. Um, I, I hope, and based on a lot of conversations you and I have had, like, I hope she gets a new job. I hope it happens quickly. I think she's good for baseball. I think she's probably learned a lot in this job that she can take to another club. Um, and, you know, it, it, uh, I think she's earned it. She deserves it. And I, I do especially think based on the last year, like there are results that, that show that. Yeah. And I think the big question for, for me, and I, from what I was told, Red Sox going to have a conversation about her for sure. They probably already have. I, I think that they'll wind up having a conversation with her, but I always felt long all along that High Bloom was not a match for the market that mm. Boston requires an urgency. Well, mm. Kim demonstrated <laughs> in the way that she worked totally. this year, you know, even in the face of what, uh, you know, the expectations for the Mets, the Braves having a dominant team, the Phillies having just played in the World Series. Kim is like, you know what, we're going to give it a shot. And she yep. restructured her offense, got Luisa Rise, uh, made that aggressive trade with the Twins. Then at the trade deadline, she makes moves, even though they came out of the gates in the second half, having lost eight straight games. And so if I'm the Red Sox, I don't want an inexperienced person who's going to learn about urgency to match Boston, which is why I feel like she'd be a great match there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a great thought. Um, and yeah, that was, that's the kind of thing that I think she learned. She learned her market. She learned how her franchise works and she worked with it, I think in a, in a really significant way, especially last year. And you're going to have to do that in Boston, like tenfold. I mean, the, that market is different than, than most. And so if she was able to adapt to a certain set of circumstances in Miami and really work with it and not against it, you feel like she can do the same thing in Boston. Exactly. All right, Rachel, thank you. We'll be talking later. Thanks guys. Have fun with Texas Buster. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, 
and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. This is The Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm good, doing well. And this baggage claim Wednesday, uh, Max Scherzer starts tonight for the Texas Rangers. We were just talking to Rachel about what to expect out of him. You've seen a lot of uh, pitchers try to come back after long layoffs. Uh, sometimes you've seen pitchers try to do it in the postseason. You know, Max Freed to me was a great example of that we're just 18 days off and he just wasn't the same. What are your expectations for Max? I hope it goes well for his sake, for Boach's sake, for everybody's sake. You know, he even said yesterday in his availability that he has no idea what to expect. And I thought that was a really fascinating thing to hear from a guy who debuted in it has been around for so long. And for him to be so upfront about the fact that he has no idea what to expect, I thought that was good of him to set expectations for fans and everyone else involved. But, you know, I'm an optimist, so I just hope it goes well. I hope he's fully healthy at this point. And I love the quote from Boat the other day, which I'm paraphrasing, but essentially along the lines of the fact that Scherzer had made sure that Boat knew that he was ready to go. And I just have this image of like Max Scherzer chasing Boach, stalking him through the clubhouse into his um, office in, in Houston being like, hey, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. We're steering him down. That feels like Max Scherzer. And I hope that instinct, that gamer that we know is what we see show up. So Dusty Baker hinted yesterday that he's going to shake up his lineup. Kyle Tucker has looked bad in this uh, in recent rounds. He's really struggling. Uh, I, I remember the other day when he was taking a swing at this fastball and with no strikes, and he sort of took this half swing like he was completely confused about what to do. Um, so Dusty will come up with a lineup later today. My instinct is, and I'm really curious as to what he decides to do, because on one hand, you could just put Jose Abreu behind Jordan Alvarez to give him some protection, but I feel like that Abreu, because he's a slow right-handed hitter who can hit into double plays, I think that's almost an inducement for people to pitch around or Alvarez, which is why I think that he had Tucker batting behind him before. If I'm in in Dusty's shoes, I would put Michael Brantley behind him, because I think Brantley is, you know, carries enough fear uh, with opposing pitchers, and they know that in, in all likelihood he's going to put the ball in play, that to me would be a little bit more of a scarier option. That's who I would go with. What would you do if you were Dusty Baker uh, and you were managing the Astros tonight and structuring their lineup? I mean, I like that idea a lot. You know, 
Abreu has been so much better so far in the postseason. I think people would have expected based on like his first game in the postseason and the way his season started. I mean, remember how long he went without that first home run. Finally had that first home 51 run. 51 games. Uh-huh, his longest ever to start a season. And he was so excited in Oakland that, I mean, that was so memorable. But then he kind of in the postseason, when he had that two-armor game, I remember people kind of saying, hey, maybe this will get him going. And it really has to an extent. The issue of the Astros, I think, is they need him to hit those home runs. They need someone to. So I almost wonder if avoiding the double plays is even going to matter. They have scored an inordinate percentage of their runs this postseason specifically via the homer. And we've seen what the Phillies, that can work. But for them, they're going to have to hit the ball out a lot more. So as long as he and Jordan are in a position to do that, I think that's how they turn the series around. Maybe he hit Jordan second and he hit Bregman third. You know, yeah. we'll, uh, I know Dusty doesn't necessarily believe in that and the way other managers do in terms of putting his best hitter in the two spot, but, you know, we'll see. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. So number three is two. So we have two series. They're both two um, So I thought it was a good time to go over sort of the series history with that. So teams taking a 2-0 lead in the all best of seven series in postseason history have gone on to win that series 75 of 89 times. That's 84%. And then specifically with the Rangers in mind, in series with the current 2-3-2 format, 26 of 29 teams to win games 1-2 on the road have gone on to win that series. That's 90%, with the three exceptions being 1996, 1986, and 1985 World Series. Number two. Number two is 15. That's how many home runs the Phillies have in the last four games. That is the most by any team in a four-game span in postseason history. They also have 17 in their last five home games this postseason, which are also the most by any team in the five-game span at home in postseason history. And that record that they broke for that one was set by themselves last postseason. Last postseason, they had 15 home runs in the five home game span, which set a record. Now they outdid that by two. I mean, every single offensive note, they're at the top of these lists. They have a plus 33 run differential so far in this postseason, the highest by any team in an eight-game span in a single postseason. They've out-homered upon by 15 home runs so far this postseason, which is also the best home run differential for any team. Nate Gamesman in a single postseason. I mean, they're setting records every time they come to the plate. Number one. Number one is 1.39. So, I mean, I kind of allude to this with the run differential and the home run differential, but I think the Phillies pitching deserves a bit more credit because as I just listed off, 
We're talking about all of these records for the offense. We're watching Kyle Schwarber go deep twice. They have four individual multi-homer games, but the pitching has been spectacular. They have a 1.39 ERA so far this postseason. That is the second lowest in the team's first eight games of a single postseason, behind only the 1983 Orioles, who are at 1.23. So, as much as the offense is so much fun to watch, the pitching has been really, really good as well. I mean, this is a well-oiled machine. So it's been established in the podcast that you're the nicest person ever, okay, and you don't like negative thoughts. Uh, so I'm going to force you to uh, confront a possible negative thought. Does the National League Championship Series get back to Philadelphia, or will it end in the desert, Sarah, after what you saw the first two games? As I talked to Hembo, I said this is like watching a heavyweight against a flyweight in terms of experience, in terms of lineup. Uh, and, and what they have. Does the series get back to Philadelphia? You know, I was hoping for six games. I think, obviously, seven games is the ideal. We always want series to go the distance, but I feel like six games series always very well fought. But right now, the way it's gone so far, it certainly feels like an end in the desert. I hope that Diamondbacks get a game. Yeah, you know, that first game I thought was a really, you know, moral victory, if you want to say, with Geraldo Perdomo with the home run and them coming back a bit, putting some fear into the Phillies fans, even briefly. Yesterday, a very different experience, but I hope that. They can build off of what they did in game one and take a game. I mean, you know, Troy Lovello said post-game they aren't playing what he called Timebacks baseball. And then we watch them all year and watch them when they've been really good in this postseason. They do look different, but we know that they have that within them. So again, for the fans, for the sold-out crowds, I hope we see and everything else. I do hope they take a game, but even five games feels about what we'll get to. Yeah, I wonder if Tori Lavelle is going to call back Dustin Pedroia and say, hey, come and speak to our team again, coming off those two games. And uh, so we'll see how it goes. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Safe travels. Bleacher Tweets. Already, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. Brian Brom, just getting into it. He asks, why isn't it time to ask why Mike Trout would want to play anywhere other than Philadelphia? Well, you see, here's a you know, there's an expectation. First off, the trout could force his way to the Phillies. Uh, that feels like it's implied in that question. I, I think that he, when he signed the 426 and a half million dollar deal with the Angels, that he felt an obligation, which I actually think is kind of a good thing. Like he didn't go in there and then immediately, like, hey, the grass is greener over the fence. I'd rather go play with my hometown team. He feels like he's got to try to make it work. And in fact. That's kind of what Bryce Harper did when he signed with the Phillies. He made it very clear he didn't want an opt-out clause. He wanted to do what's best for the franchise because he felt like a team that invested that kind of money in him deserved that. And I think that's how Mike feels about the Angels. Whether or not it's the best place for him to be, I think his feeling is like, this is where I am. All right. 
Pat Johnston at the Melting Pat Rights in the Phillies went to a six-man rotation this season to give their extra star- their starters extra rest, and it is paying off so far in the playoffs. I know a few teams did it this year, but will it will more teams make this common practice during the summer months? PK Steinberg have had a similar question. When they can, yes, hundred uh, percent. I think when you can do it, then you do do it. The Phillies were kind of in a unique position, I think, because on one hand there wasn't really a reason for them to put the gas on through the end of August and into September because they weren't going to catch the Braves. Like, they were far behind the Braves. But on the other hand, it looked like they were in a relatively comfortable position to make the playoffs, which allowed them to, you know, in early August basically say, you know what, we're going to do what we can to rest our starters. The Brewers did that as well. Their guys didn't do as well in this round, that's for sure. Corey Rukert writes in, what are the chances Major League Baseball releases players to take part in the 2023 LA Olympics 24 I guess uh zero uh <laughs> no chance uh you know and I was nice that Bryce Harper talked about the Olympics and boy it would be nice and that would be a way to promote the sport you basically would be asking teams to give up their home dates for and have the sport go dark for three weeks in the middle of the summertime that's when they make their money there's no chance this happens there you have it. Josh Newfeld writes in dilemma for this lifelong Giants fan of more than a year. LOL. He adds how to feel that both ALCS managers, Bochi and Baker are former longtime successful Giants managers. Thoughts. Yeah, it this definitely the reaction to this definitely falls along party lines. When you're talking about old school, new school, you talk to people around the sport, then the new schoolers they go, well, it's not that big of a deal. They have really good teams. And of course the old schoolers in the sport are going, uh-huh. You get two managers who uh, will run the game, uh, you know, away from a script and look where they are. Mm. Brian Simpson writes in, hey, Buster, there's so much talk about Nashville, Salt Lake City and Portland. What about other cities like New Orleans, Austin, San Antonio and Oklahoma City? Also with Oakland moving, will there ever be another city or area to have two franchises? Yeah, Todd Rademan has told us about those times in the past when New Orleans was considered a possibility. Uh, San Antonio I've heard a little bit about, but not that much. I haven't heard anything at all about Oklahoma City. Uh, I really think it's Nashville and then a second city. Uh, We'll see. And I I have that question. I mean, Tim Kuhn, we had him on. Uh, He was talking about the story that he did that came out on ESPN.com last month where they were so close to having the funding settled with the Oakland Athletics, which begs the question, could they reprise that and put that together? But, man, the relationship between Major League Baseball and and the city of Oakland might be so damaged that there wouldn't necessarily be public support for that, given how they've had the rug pulled out from underneath them with the athletics. Makes sense. Last one for today, Brian Stone King. He uh, writes in, 2014 Bumgarner was great, but... 88 Oral Hershiser's postseason. He's got some stats, five starts, 44 and two-thirds inning pitched, three complete games, one save. Oral also only had two rounds of playoffs available. His postseason was preceded by a 5-0 September with 55 innings pitched and a 0.0 ERA. Stone King says, in my opinion, what he did was better. What say you? Brian, I'm not going to – it's so funny because, of course, that was the last – team that I really rooted for uh-huh. like I was a huge Dodger fan growing up and I got my job at the Nashville Banner in the summer of 88 the Dodgers play through their postseason the next year I started covering AAA baseball and so my fandom really went away at that point but that 88 team was amazing Oral was amazing 
He, he was incredible. This is like arguing over pieces of art to me. Like Bumgarner <laughs> was ridiculous. Oral Hershiser down that stretch. He came out of the bullpen as well to help the Dodgers as well as what he was doing as a starting pitcher. I, I, you know, you say tomato, I say tomato. I totally respect your opinion on this one. All right. Love the debate. Hashtag embrace debate. Hashtag bleacher tweets on Twitter while you're watching these games. We will be back on Thursday with Jessica Mendoza, Carl Ravitch, and Sarah Langs. We're working ahead here, Buster. Good stuff. All right. Very nice. Well, that's it for today. My thanks to Hembo, Sarah, Rachel, Parker, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.